Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So I'd like to tell you a funny story. It's 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday the 8th. And historically, I would have already been done uploading the podcast, recording, editing, And ready to go at midnight. But we're experiencing some technical difficulties. And I did not get a chance to get the audio for the live show that I recorded just a few hours ago. And because of that, I'm going to have to record another one right now. Because you deserve to have a podcast to wake up to on Friday morning. So we grit our teeth. And we bite the bullet and we do it again. But this time, no audience and better sound quality because I'm not recording it from the locker room application. If you listened to the podcast that dropped on April 7th, you will know that we talked a lot about needs. And specifically, we talked about there being multiple types of needs that exist in multiple spans of time. You could have a positional need now. You could have a positional need later. You could have a role need now. You could have a role need later. You could have an intangible need now. You could have an intangible need later. And so what we're going to do on this podcast is now that we've established those things and we're going into the NFL draft, the entire purpose of this week's worth of podcasts is that when the Bills draft someone who isn't necessarily the one position that you thought was the most important at 30, and then again in the second round, you don't throw your hands up in the air and go, didn't even fill a need. The entire purpose of this week's worth of podcasts is to keep that from happening in your brain when it occurs. Because I need us to understand that needs are broader. So what I'm going to do now that we've established that is I'm going to go through my top 10 needs positionally for the Buffalo Bills as it stands right now. Positionally is important 
because we're talking about positions, not roles. Very important. Very important. So let's start. And let's start with number 10. Number 10, safety depth this year. Currently, Jaquan Johnson is the first player off the bench if something happens to Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde. Earlier today, Dean Marlowe, one of my most favorite veteran players on this team, ended up signing with the Detroit Lions, where there's potentially a path to more playing time for him. Can't blame him. But that means that there are three safeties on this team who have even played meaningful snaps somewhere in the NFL. If you count the snaps that Jaquan Johnson's got on special teams and in occasional relief, given how important safety is to this team, safety depth this year matters. That's completely dismissing the idea of potentially three safety looks. Completely dismissing that. We're just talking about safety depth at this point, and it's a need for this team. It comes in at number 10. Number nine, tight end this year. Why is it so low? Because you have somebody who could be developing into something this year in Dawson Knox. And I like Jacob Hollister. I'm completely fine with that. Now, we would agree you would like to see more production out of the tight end group. Sure. And that's the reason why it shows up. But the reason why it shows up so low is because if you look at the people who you're not supposed to assume development with, and we've talked about this before, I don't like assuming development. But let's talk about some of the people on the team who assuming development would matter for. Gabriel Davis, Cody Ford, AJ Epinesa, Dawson Knox. Of those four players where you're kind of hoping they take the next leap, maybe Ed Oliver, of those five players now that we just mentioned, Dawson Knox, Ed Oliver have probably shown the most significant flashes at this point. So the reason why I don't have, spoiler alert, don't have three tech this year is because I think that Ed Oliver has already shown us that. I'm not really assuming improvement. I'm assuming consistency, but he's already shown me high-level flashes. So has Dawson Knox. And that's the reason why this need is fairly low on the list, all things considered. You know it's a need, but you think you have it covered. Eight on this list. CB2 next year. Levi Wallace, one-year deal. Next year, you lost Taron Johnson. You lost Levi Wallace. You still have Dane Jackson at that point. You need numbers, ladies and gentlemen. Even if you don't think CB2 this year is a significant need, next year probably is. CB2 next year is a need. Shows up at number eight. Number seven, wide receiver next year. We've talked about this on social media. I've talked about it on this podcast. There is a very reasonable chance that the Buffalo Bills need two or more wide receivers in 2022. Cole Beasley will be 33. Emmanuel Sanders will be 35. And at the end of his one-year deal. What if Gabriel Davis doesn't take step forward? What if he does? Even if he does, this is an 11 and 10 based personnel team. You need to make sure you have four to five reasonable wide receivers at all times. 
Isaiah McKenzie's on a one-year deal. Wide receiver next year is the seventh most important need on this team, in my opinion. The sixth most important need is edge next year. Jerry Hughes will be a free agent. Mario Addison's last year of his contract voided as part of the restructure, which means he'll be a free agent, which means here are your defensive ends for 2022 as it currently stands. Daryl Johnson, A.G. Epinesa. That's it. F.A. Obadah's on one-year deal. Addison's gone. Hughes is gone. Could they re-sign Jerry Hughes to an extension and alleviate this concern? Partially? Sure, they could do that. But as it stands right now at the time of this recording, 9.33 p.m. Eastern Time on the 8th of April, it's a pretty significant need. It's the sixth most important need on this team. The fifth most important need on this team is nickel next year. Taron Johnson is going to be a free agent. This is the last year of Taron Johnson's deal. You have no other nickel corners on this team who have played meaningful snaps. Cam Lewis is your only other option. Dane Jackson could slide inside, but he's been playing outside. When he came out of the draft, a lot of us thought he's a nickel corner, but that's not the way the Bills had played him. So that means you've got essentially nobody there in 2022, unless you're a huge Cam Lewis believer. The fifth most important need on this team is nickel next year. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to go through the top four remaining needs on this team. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We went through some of the top needs, in my opinion, that exist on this team, positionally speaking, across time. Tenth was safety depth this year. Ninth was tight end this year. Eighth was CB2 next year. Seventh was wide receiver next year. Sixth was edge next year. Fifth was nickel next year. And now we're going to move on to the fourth. The fourth one is nickel right now. I think Taron Johnson can be upgraded from. I understand that he's everybody's favorite darling right now because the last things you remember from him were two significant pick sixes 
that changed the course of a couple games later in the season. Lest we forget, he was benched for the aforementioned Cam Lewis, University at Buffalo product, before Cam Lewis got hurt. Taron Johnson is a perfectly reasonable run defender from the nickel spot. And you have to be in this defense. If you're going to play nickel this much, you need a nickel defender who's going to come up and lay the wood and come downhill and play the run well. You got to make sure they can fill backside gaps. They have to be good run defenders. And Taron Johnson is a pretty good run defender. But Taron Johnson really struggled in coverage for a lot of last year. I think he can be upgraded from right now. So yes, there's a need because his contract's going to be up. But that doesn't mean the only need in nickel is next year because I think he could be upgraded from right now and it would do a world of difference in the Buffalo Bills pass defense. The third most important need on this team, edge right now. I understand that numbers are a little funny here. If they draft an edge defender, say Quiddy Pay falls to 30 and they draft him, you think, goodness gracious, where is he going? Mario Addison? Jerry Hughes, A.J. Epinesa, F.A. Obada, Daryl Johnson. That's five right there. Draft this guy, it's D.E. six. Well, Daryl Johnson's not a guarantee to make the team. He was a four-phase special teams player, and that's great. But if you only keep five, if you draft a first-rounder, F.A. Obada becomes your fifth defensive end. Maybe A.J. Epinesa doesn't take a step forward. He ends up being D.E. five. But your edge rushers, your defensive ends in this 4-3 are not just needs when Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes are no longer under contract. They're needs right now too because the Bills had a reasonable pressure rate last year, but it can absolutely be upgraded from. The number two need on this team, as I see it right now, is interior offensive line right now. I think that somehow... The re-signing of John Feliciano changed a lot of people's opinions about the interior offensive line, and I'm not entirely sure why. John Feliciano is a reasonable guard. He's okay. He's fine. I would very much prefer for him to be a swing interior offensive lineman who's the first person off the bench if your left guard goes down or your right guard goes down if your center goes down. I think that's a big strength of his is his versatility, being able to kick inside to center. I'd love to have John Feliciano as the first man off the bench for those kind of things. But it's not like he can't be upgraded from. It's not like upgrading from him wouldn't be beneficial to the line as a whole. And currently, Cody Ford is scheduled to be your left guard. Cody Ford has at no point shown significantly good stretches of play at all. Didn't it right tackle? Didn't it left guard? Now, the sample size at left guard is very small, but... He hasn't played well for a stretch ever in his career. So just assuming he's going to is probably a mistake. So right now it's a need. Could that need be lessened like the tight end thing by the improvement of Cody Ford? Sure. Could the need at edge right now be lessened by the improvement of AJ Epinesa? Yes. But all these things are not assuming improvement. They're assuming crystallization right now. Exactly as things are right now. Nobody gets better. Nobody gets worse the way it is. Players developing changes these needs. They become fluid as people who are currently on the roster end up improving or don't improve. 
but I don't assume the improvement. I assume it just the way it is. And the number one need for this team, in Bruce's opinion, I know you're shocked. It's CB2 right now. The inability of this Buffalo defense to be able to run as much man coverage as they'd like, or as I'd like, to be able to match up against elite level offenses is directly correlated to the fact that they don't have an athlete at the CB2 position. And that doesn't get fixed by putting Dane Jackson in there. Dane Jackson is a smidge of a better athlete than Levi Wallace. That's not what gets fixed. Dane Jackson could be an improvement over Levi Wallace, but you're always going to be limited by a limited athlete. Limited athletes can play in the league. You just have to put up bumpers for them. And when you put up bumpers for limited athletes, you're boxing yourself in too. That's what you're doing. You're boxing yourself in because you have to protect them. Sometimes the protection that you have built for yourself ends up being a cage. This is a metaphor that's true in a lot of different aspects of life, but it's true in football a lot. You build this system to accommodate for the limited talents of a player that you have or the limited athletic ability, and they're able to thrive within that role. You're able to maximize their potential. But before too long, that fortress that you build ends up feeling a little bit more like a prison because it restricts your motion. You can't do the things you want to do. You saw this happen with Jared Goff and Sean McVay. Sean McVay was able to build a system where Jared Goff could be successful. But eventually, you need to be able to do more than that, and Jared Goff can't do more than that. So, he had to go out and find another quarterback. Who could? Jared Goff felt like he was being restricted, and Sean McVay felt like he was being handcuffed. It's the same thing with CB2. You can't do some of the things you can do with better athletes. Get me a better athlete at CB2, who can play in man and can cover, and watch how this defense can open up. So those are your top 10 needs, in the opinion of Bruce Nolan. Safety depth this year, tight end this year, CB2 next year, wide receiver next year, edge next year, nickel next year, nickel right now, edge right now, interior offensive line right now, and CB2 right now. Some honorable mentions. Linebacker depth this year popped up here. But Brandon Bean has signed some veterans, Tyrell Adams, chief among them, who I think might be able to help plug those holes. One technique is very interesting to me because depending on how you look at Star Latula's contract, it could be a scenario where you think he's locked in this year or you think he's locked in this year and next year. So this year, it's an upside down contract. It actually costs you more if he's not on your roster. So that's pretty clearly a lock. But if you look at next year, 2022's, cap figures. He has a $9.3 million cap hit and a $5.1 million dead cap. So it's not a guarantee he'll be cut then either. He could be on this team then. So I think there might be a one tech need, but I don't know when it occurs. I don't know if it's a backup one tech this year and a starting one tech next year, or if it's a starting one tech two years from now. And that kind of gray area is pushed it down and made it an honorable mention for me. Running back this year, is an honorable mention to me because I do think that having some speed would be nice. It's just not all that important of a need for me. I acknowledge that it would be nice to have, but I just don't think it's 
all that relevant or correlative to offensive success. Bills had one of the most successful offenses in the history of the franchise, the most successful offense in the history of the franchise, and one of the best offenses in the entire league with a bunch of people that we're all thinking are now bums at running back. Clearly, I can't correlate that significantly. Backup quarterback next year. Mitch Trubisky is a one-year rental. We know this. Backup quarterback next year becomes a need. Do you want to draft someone to kind of develop them so you don't have to kind of hash through one-year vet quarterbacks as a backup? I don't know. Maybe you do. Offensive tackle depth this year. Bobby Hart does not count for me. Ryan Bates is currently your swing tackle. And I like Ryan Bates. I'm hashtag Bates Hive, baby. But I think having someone who's done it before would be nice or having someone who has a little bit more physical talent would be nice there. So those are my honorable mentions. They didn't quite make the cut. We're going to polish off some almighty takes before we head out of here for the day. So Andrew emailed to me at I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com. He says, hey, Bruce, I was inspired by your discussion with Joe Marino and Joe Miller to finally email you instead of DMing you. I'm where Joe Marino's at. I will always uh, don't draft a running back in the first round guy, but our circumstances are different this year. Full disclosure, I'm team draft to CB2 if there's a good corner. I think why people are so enamored with running back is round one is because of four reasons. One, Bean's done a good job of building depth so there aren't many holes. Two, depending on how the draft falls, we could have a top player at a position of weakness and could make an instant impact next season. Three, Singletary and Moss had uninspired seasons. Four, this is one of the final years Allen's on his rookie deal, so it'll likely be one of the strongest teams we'll have going forward for a while due to the fact that we'll have less cap space to spend on the rest of the roster. So if a running back can come in and make an impact right away, push us over the top, it would be worth it. Again, I'd like to reiterate that I would like to see them draft a corner in round one due to the fact that I believe it's by far our biggest hole, but I wouldn't hate, not saying you would, them drafting a running back in round one. Also, wasn't big a fan of Singletary and Moss last season, so I'm hoping you're right that they struggled due to scheme and offensive line. As always, Bruce, keep up the good work. Go Bills. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, so the reason why I read this take right now is because if you'll notice for me, running back this year didn't even make my top 10 needs. That's important. Don't think it's that important. Running back will never be a high need for me. I don't think it's a high need for a team. Tight end is a little bit like that for me. Tight end is never going to be a crazy high need for me. And the reason that is, is because there's so few impact players at the position in the league. There's a handful of really meaningful difference makers at tight end in the NFL. They just don't make them very much. That's like saying not having Tom Brady is a need. Well, we got to have time, right? Tom Brady. Well, I mean, they don't make Tom Brady's. They don't grow on trees. So you can't really go into the year going, well, what we need is we need Tom Brady. Well, you're not going to find Tom Brady. In a lot of people's opinions, he's the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. So tight ends are a little bit like that for me because those rare, unique specimens, it's a wonderful luxury when you have one, but it's hard to say it's a need when they just not that common. With running back, it's hard for me to ever say it's a need because I just don't think it's that important of a position. That's like saying a really, really important position. We totally need a two-down run-stuffing linebacker. Do you really need one that bad? Is there ever really that important to get? Sure, it's nice to have. Great. Fills a specific role. It's just not that important to me. 
So for me, when I look at, depending on how the draft falls, we could have a top player at a position of weakness that could have an instant impact next season. And then I look at, Bean has done a good job of building depth on the roster and there aren't many holes. I just outlined at least 10 places where I would argue the hole is bigger than running back. I get it. I respect it. Just can't get on board. Evan says, was listening to your chat with Jay Spence when you mentioned Allen Robinson once out of Chicago. It got me thinking, what do you think would be the most off-the-wall move that Brandon Bean would realistically make anytime between now and the 2021 trade deadline? Obviously, there are cap constraints, so maybe this question is pointless. But given some of the past moves he's made, I'm not uncertain he wouldn't be aggressive given the right circumstances. I ask here because if I post it on Twitter, I'd get goofs saying, quote, trade Josh Allen for Pat Mahomes. <laughs> Thanks for all you do. Your sober and measured analysis helps me avoid going full Homer fan or full Doomsday fan, depending on the news we receive. Well, I appreciate that, Evan. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that a lot. I, I, that is the intent of the podcast is not don't get too high. Don't get too low. Talk through it reasonably. Stay centered. Stay level. So I'm glad it's able to land on you the way it's intended. The most off-the-wall thing that Brandon Bean could do. Trade for a running back. That'd be the most off-the-wall thing I think he could do. Trade for someone like Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey just redid his contract, so I don't think Carolina's going to trade him. That's not what I'm saying. But if Brandon Bean really thinks that Winning now is so important. Swinging a trade for a running back would probably be the most off-the-wall thing that he could do. I wouldn't be in favor of it because trading for a running back, oh my gosh. That's like, I'm trying to think, that's, that may be worse. Maybe that's worse than giving a running back a second contract. Like, I'm trying to think, of all the bad running back investments, the f- worst thing you could do is probably trading for one that's on a significant contract already. The next worst thing you could do would be giving them a second contract in general, a big second contract. And of the running back investments that's actually the least offensive, it's drafting one in the first round. That's the least offensive, least egregious running back asset allocation problem is drafting one in the first round. It's funny because I rail against it this entire offseason, but of all the running back investments you can make, that's probably the least egregious is drafting one in the first round. The most egregious is trading assets and draft capital for one that's already on a fat contract. That would be, yeah, that would be real bad. But that's the most off-the-wall move I could possibly see him making. I don't think it's going to happen, but could. Andrew says, hi, Bruce. Hope this finds you well. I have an almighty take for you, but I just want to say I've always enjoyed the show. I enjoy your locker room when I can catch them. I like the interaction, some of the variety it provides. I think you host them very well. Keep up the good work. Andrew, thank you. I appreciate that. This has been a um, real stressful couple of weeks for me. And having people on the locker room who take time out of their day and want to like hang out and talk bills with me, it's, it's hard to really explain that there are humans out there who actually would spend one of the most precious resources they have, which is their time, talking about football with me and they would view that as a good use of their time. That is, um, that's incredibly humbling. It's, it's wonderful to have people uh, like that who help enrich your life the way that I do. So thank you for that. All right. His almighty take. 
I've been trying to figure out why the Bills sort of changed up their dominant run style from running more gap in 2019 to more zone heavy in 2020 and saw a drop in production. I don't think that injuries or lack of continuity are full story, but they play a part. I think the coaching staff looked at the limited offseason time because of the pandemic, potential shuffling around due to injuries and uncertainty, and a need or desire to maximize time available to develop the passing game with digs inserted, and may have thought it was easier to work zone blocking schemes given the time available. I've read and know from experience that gap schemes can be more involved to execute well. There can be more timing work involved and need to work on it more week-to-week basis depending on how the defense is playing their gaps and the timing of it all. Zone can be a little simpler because of the assignments are more like block a zone and a lot of times basically take a guy a little further than he wants to go to allow a running back to read and hit the hole where it opens. I think a lot of things contributed, but I can see the limited time available and the big contributor to their ability to get a good feel for gap schemes and comfortable running a lot in those games. Of course, individual performance could have contributed to that as well, but I think it's a unique variable, and that leaves me hopeful for improvement in 2021, before even assets are added in the draft, not a running back in round one. This came to me last week when I was listening to you on Locker Room, but it's too much for me to remember to say. I guess I could always read it, but you're better at it. Thanks for the content, and sorry for being so long-winded, Andy. Andy, never apologize. I really appreciate it, man. So, you are right that my experience with zone blocking has been that it's a little bit easier to teach. I would argue that the check with me's that you're able to put in with a zone running scheme for the quarterback and the ability for them to flip plays a little bit easier at the line is probably a big part of zone as well. I think that being able to have zone and then boot off of zone helps the quarterback a lot. You see this all the time. You see this with the Titans. You see this with the Rams. You're going to see this with the Falcons this year. You see it with a lot of Shanahan offenses. It's the zone and then boot off zone. And the entire offense is kind of built around those concepts. And it really helps make things a little bit easier on the quarterback. I think that some of those things are nice to have as dabblings for Josh Allen. Now, not all of it's like that for sure, but I think it's nice to have some of those things. And I think that's probably a part of the reason why they did it as well. Now, you might need a different style of lineman to be able to pull it off. But I think that they were trying to kind of thread the needle. They want to make things easy on Josh Allen. Like you said, they want to make sure that they're minimizing the time that you need to spend on it. And I I think that they probably wanted to make sure that they were doing a little bit of dabbling and everything just to keep offenses a little mixed up. Jeremy says, take Bruce Nolan has to do a graduate level show on the salary cap salary cap. One one podcast that you did was one of your best. It's cap and gown time, baby, especially given the challenging salary cap landscape this year. I believe this to be a summa cum laude take. So what do you say, Bruce? I will at one point do a salary cap two Oh one podcast at some point. I did a salary cap one one podcast last off season. You can go back and find it on the Buffalo rumblings. It was an episode of the Nick and Nolan show. And I think it was a it was a pretty good one. It was one of those repeatable ones, kind of an evergreen podcast until they change the CBA again and the rules change. Jeremy's question is, I'm curious about your definition of reach when it comes to draft picks. For lay people like myself, some reaches are pretty obvious. Dante Whitner comes to mind. But what are your parameters? For instance, if the Bills draft a player at pick 30 that you have graded as the 35th player in the draft, is it a reach? How about 40th? Along those lines... Do you adjust your definition as the draft goes on? For example, if the Bills draft a guy in the fifth round and you have a sixth round grade on it, is that a reach? Does it really matter at that point? As always, your insights are greatly appreciated, Jeremy. Jeremy, 
This is a great question. It's a fantastic question. So reach is entirely subjective. As you mentioned, it's based on your own perception. The person who's calling it a reach their own perception of where that player could have otherwise been taken if not taken by your team. So you say Daniel Jones was a reach at six. Okay. Why do you think he's a reach at six? Well, I think you could have had him at 17. Do you know that? No, I just think that. There's no way to confirm something's a reach. Zero. There's zero way to confirm that some of the things are reach. Now, that's the first way to look at it. The reach is where you could have gotten that player otherwise. That's the first definition of reach. The second definition of reach is, I don't think that player is worth that investment. And that's completely subjective as well, but it's based on different reasoning. So the first reason is you could have gotten him later. This is an idea of where you thought that player would go. Then the second definition of reach is where you thought that player should go. So you have to make sure you're being very specific when you call something a reach. You could have had them later, which is, I think they would have gone later. Or should, I think they should have gone later. So for example, I would consider any running back taken in the first round to be a reach. Why? Because I don't think you should take running backs in the first round. Ever. I have a hard, fast line against it. I don't think you should ever take a kicker in the second round. If you ever draft a kicker in the second round, I'm going to call it a reach based on the should definition of reach. So it depends on how you do it. So for me, when I call something a reach, I am using the should definition of reach because I'm not so arrogant as to assume I know where the player was going to go. I don't have any inside information on things that, the Chargers were going to do in the fifth round. That's absurd. So I can't come up here and say, well, you could have gotten him much later. Well, maybe. Maybe the mock drafts said that. But who knows? I don't know if you could have gotten him later. So I can't use that as my definition of reach. My definition of reach has to be based on should. Where did I have them ranked? I usually try and make sure I rank 200 prospects every single year. 200. That's my goal every single year. I usually get it done. If I was a full-timer, maybe I could try 350, but I, I just don't have enough time. I can't get them done. So for me, some people, I'm not even going to have an opinion at all on them because the Bills might draft somebody in the seventh round and I didn't even do any work on them. In which case I'll say, I don't know. I'll go do some work on them. I'll let you know. It's just not possible. I can't. We have this running game that we do in my household where the first time that a player gets drafted and I don't know who they are, like I, I don't know anything about them, we kind of like do a little, little streamer, like a kazoo. Hey, put on a party hat. We got the first one. Last year, it was the kicker that got drafted by the New England Patriots, Roarwasser. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about this kicker. Sorry, I got nothing to say. It's kind of a little funny little thing every time. We're kind of waiting for it every time a name gets drafted. Usually about halfway through day three, early maybe day three, my wife starts looking at me after every pick like, is this the one? Is this the one that's going to throw you off? But that's how I define reach by the should definition of reach. Should they have gone there? Where do I have them valued? 
Now, in regards to your specification about how significant, it has to be a fairly significant reach before I'll call it a reach. And by that, I mean, it has to be someone who I think wasn't worth this pick, but may have been worth your next pick. So like if you draft in the fifth round, okay, and I have a day three grade on someone and you draft in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh, I'm probably okay. Because my grades are pretty broad. It's usually elite prospect, top 10 kind of thing. Then you have like first rounders. Then you have early day two guys. Then you have later day two guys. Then early day three guys and later day three guys. So they're pretty broad. I don't say something as specific as, well, the ranking for this guy is 42nd. And if you take them at 44, it's a steal. And if you take them at 39, it's a reach. It's not quite that laser focused. It's a little broad. So it has to be, you know, you have to take someone in the third that I think was a mid to late day three guy in order for it to really qualify as a, as a reach at that point. So that's how I define it. Sean says, almighty take three weeks to go. They will go CB2 or perhaps edge inside line in the later rounds. And you always draft a receiver running back, perhaps quarterback. So I think it's possible they go CB2 or edge for sure. I do think they're going to draft an interior offensive lineman. So I agree with that. And I would very much like to see them draft a receiver. I don't know if they're going to draft a quarterback, even though I said it was a need because I think that they wouldn't want to try to holster one on a practice squad with Fromm and Webb already done. I don't think the Bills will draft a quarterback this year. Could be wrong, but even though I accept the fact that quarterback's probably going to be a need at backup next year because I'm not a Fromm believer, they might be, which is why they drafted him. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We recorded. We recorded a 36-minute podcast after I already recorded an hour-long podcast earlier today, and I lost all the audio. The fact that I even had the energy for this one is astounding to me. Thank you so much for listening and joining me on this. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rockies.